When you're lost in the darkness, look for the pod. Specifically, the Prestige TV podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, where we're breaking down every new episode of HBO's The Last of Us. On Sunday nights, grab your battery and join Van Lathan and Charles Holmes for an instant reaction to the latest episode. Then head back to the QZ on Tuesdays for a deep dive with Joanna Robinson and Mallory Rubin. From character arcs to video game adaptation choices, story themes to needle drops, we'll parse every inch of this cordyceps-coated universe. Watch out for mouth tendrils and follow along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. What's up, everybody? Just wanted to give you guys a warning about the sort of audio quality on the JR interview. He gave us some great stuff. He was really candid and had a great time. Unfortunately, the audio isn't quite up to the standard that you guys are used to on the feed, but you'll still be able to get some some great stuff out of JR. So just wanted to let you guys know about that at the top. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of Weekends. I'm your host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazney Lambray, and I'm joined by a very, very special and distinguished guest today. He's a two-time NBA champion. You know him as one of the most colorful, well-known, exciting guys of his generations of players in the NBA, and now he's a TV star. Shout-outs. And welcome to the show, Jr. Swish. What's going on, brother? Oh, appreciate it. I won't go that far. <laughs> well, you know, man, shout-outs to the good people at Amazon who were nice enough to send me some screeners. I was able to catch a couple of the, the first episodes of your new show, which is called J.R. Smith Redefined. What struck me, man, is somebody, we're really close in age, so I've been following your career essentially since that McDonald's All-American game. And you're not somebody who did a lot of media. Your name was always in the press, but yeah. it wasn't necessarily you doing media. And so watching this, I realized it's the first time that J.R. is like doing media in a real way. And I just want to know the process of even coming to the decision to do something like this that is so candid and open. 
I mean, it really came from like hours and hours of talking to friends and conversations. Like, and this is something I really wanted to do because it was being so open. For me, it was like, I really took it out of myself and placed it into a younger me. I was like, if I seen something like this when I was younger, I would have been before at 18, 19, 20 years old, even 25, 26, opposed to being a 37 year old going and, you know, having to go through what I went through. So for me, it was something I felt like it was more like I had to do for the next generation, opposed to, you know, just, you know, being so isolated and cut off from everybody. Yeah, I think even in just the first two episodes, you guys do a good job of sort of explaining a growth, a maturity. It's hard for people to understand, you know, because we don't do high schoolers anymore, right? Yeah. You were some of the one of the last guys that was able to come into the league straight from high school. A guy is 18 years old and he's thrown into this new professional environment. And obviously there were growing pains and you, you guys talk about that in the doc, why do you think it was important for you to talk about some of those tougher times in your career and just sort of put this on display? I mean, because for, for me, again, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you reach for and teach for it. Like, I really want the younger generation to know that we're not alone in, in this fight. And, you know, certain stories that come out with certain players and stuff like that, and they see my story, they can understand, like, you know, how not even not even so much how to do what I do, but like they understand like it's a lot it's a fine line that comes with this lifestyle. And, you know, to me I was just trying to explain it as a fictitious lifestyle because it's not a life it's a lifestyle that everybody doesn't get to live and it's not it's not a uh, it's not equal in, in no forms of fashion. You know, I'm like everybody else, I got friends and everything else, but when police see me, they see me as J.R. Smith. When the police see my friends, they just see another black dude, you know what I'm saying? And to a lot of us it's hard to fathom that, it's hard to explain that because we're not we're not close into that. So especially when you go from a high school to the NBA to where nobody knows you to everybody knows you and you feel as though you can, you know, you start getting passes from certain walks of freedom that normally other people wouldn't get you start getting by certain places people start treating mm -hmm. you differently you know what I'm saying like and a lot of us don't know how to handle that and we get caught up in that and it's very quick to be caught up in that so for the younger generation that's what I feel like that's one of my things I, I need to pass along so man again I, I do want to stay on the early part of your career because in the past few weeks, we've in the NBA, we've seen, you know, some incidents with young guys sort of fucking up publicly. Right. Like that's just that's just what it is, in my opinion. Right. It's young guys making bad decisions, which is just what young people do. I did it. You did it. Fortunately for me, my my screw ups didn't happen on TV and in front of millions of people on social media and in media. What do you remember about? first coming into the league and, you know, sort of immediately understanding like, whoa, this is, this is a lot different than what I was anticipating before I got here. I mean, for me, like I grew up, I came through a time to where there wasn't social media and then it was social media. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like I, a lot of it resonates with me. So I kind of learned early on, like the do's and don'ts and kind of got solidified of that bad boy for that, that early. So for me, like the thing, the thing I remember the most about is like people really feeling like I'm a bad person, or like I'm, I'm this type of uh, person, and I know who my parents have raised. I know the type of 
you know, the, the community that I came from, like, who, who rock with me. I know the type of person I am. Even, like, when I would go from a team to another team, and they would hear one thing or another thing about you throughout the league, and you get to some equipment managers or trainers, and, man, like, I didn't even think you was like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, but just that persistent, that, that stain on your name, it gives everybody so much leeway to just like, oh, he's already, he's an asshole before I even met him. You know what I'm saying? So for me, like the integrity of what your name carries, it means a lot. And I don't think a lot of the young guys understand that because I didn't at the time. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't understand like how much weight my name really carried when I, when even after the ball stopped bouncing. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, Especially if you got kids, you got a, that. I mean, you started a lineage. Like, that's going to pass down on and on and on. And to me, I would only want positive and, and more positive things on my, you know, on my name as to go with my integrity of, of who I am as a person. Right on. One of the, one of the dope things about the doc, too, which I think is, is super telling because. I got to be honest with you, like when I see athlete produce media, I'm really, really ready for like just a bunch of pom pom waving for themselves. And I turn on your doc and one of the segments, you're just straight up just highlighting the beauty of the culture of the atmosphere of North Carolina A&T. Like I thought that was just really cool and a really selfless act on your part. To make your TV show about highlighting an HBCU, you and I both know North Carolina A&T doesn't have access to the same resources as Duke University or UNC or NC State. Why do you think it was important for you to highlight A&T that way on your show? Um, Well, for me, I come from a very family-oriented background. Like, I have nine aunts and uncles on one side another nine or ten on another side and everybody pretty much got like four or five kids in between there if not more and so for me I got a lot of first cousins I got a lot of second cousins and like my and my grandmother really like held everything together so for me like to really hold that down like when I went to AMP, I never really felt like that up until you know I lost my grandmother when I was nine so I got to A&T, it was just like, damn, like, I felt like I, especially at homecoming, when I see 60, 70-year-old women sitting there playing cards, going back, talking about when they cross and everything else, and like, I, I inherited like a thousand grandmothers, you know what I'm saying? It was like so much, such a, so much of a family atmosphere that that's where I, I felt like that's where my bases was. And it's crazy because I was going out there so much in, in high school and playing in tournaments and I had aspirations to go to Carolina. And I always wondered what drew me to Carolina. And it just so happened to be to go to NC opposed to Charlie Hill. Man, that I, I really, I really enjoyed that homecoming piece because, you know, the grub, like you said, the music, the band, it really just did a good job of highlighting that. And in another part, like I said, your show isn't the typical athlete-driven media. You portray a bunch of your teammates 
These are guys who, unlike J.R. Smith, haven't had a job <laughs> for, you know, 20 years, a professional basketball job. Like, you a fully formed adult, right? And you're coming back and doing this thing of, you know, renewing your education and, and playing golf. But I love that you highlighted your teammates, these young students, and what their lives are like. Man, talk about being in close proximity with those guys on a day-to-day basis. I thought that was one of the coolest and most effective parts of the show as well. Yeah, it's, it's really dope. We got a, a really great group of young cats, so AJ, X, and Diego, Martin. But being around them, is like, it was a great opportunity because only really X and AJ really knew who I was. But it was like, obviously, you know, young brothers who was really hyped and excited. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, we got... Diego, one's Venezuela, one's from Mexico. We got another kid, Martinez from Spain. So they had no clue who I was. So it was really dope from that aspect to be like just one of the guys, like one of the regular, one of, like nobody looking at me just like as a star or whatever. And really having to earn my way as far as like being accepted amongst the team. Because, you know, everybody's just like, oh, he's just. It's easy to be just some dude, rich dude, throwing money and just want to be a part of something or whatever it was. But when they seen the real fire in my in my eyes about the game and how, how I came the game, they really accepted me. And, uh, and that was something I had to really overcome too, which was, which was great. And having to go through that feeling and that process all over again because it hasn't felt like that in a while. Because basketball was like three months you know, second nature. It wasn't like if I was going to make the team, like, I didn't worry about making a team since I was like eight years old. You know what I'm saying? So, from that aspect, it was dope. But they, like, they're individual, as individuals, they're amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like, just finding out what they got to go through, just doing laundry, running the study hall, got worried about going to this class and who, what girl they talking to and what they going through. It's just like, sitting back looking at it as like I'm the 37 year old that I was playing with at the time and they're the 18, 19, 20 year olds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Wow. When I get to look at it from that aspect, I get an opportunity to really help them and shape them and mold them for the men that they're about to be. And just like some of the guys with me. Man, that's that. I didn't even think about it that way, but that is a beautiful full circle moment. I know a lot of people are who are listening to this, and obviously there's NBA fans, so they're familiar with the idea that you are, because it made a lot of news when you first decided to walk on to the golf team. But I would ask you, as somebody who's a fan of your game, literally watched your entire career, you are highly, like whatever, you, you had athleticism and all of that stuff, but you were a highly skilled individual, could dribble, could could shoot, could pass it, understood defenses and offenses. And so what that means to me is you put a lot of work into those those things. I want to know how much work you're putting into this golf thing. Are you putting in as much work as you put into the hooping as you did to the golfing? No, nah, nothing. I feel like it's impossible at this point. Like, because, mm. like, even, even now, like, I don't play as much as I used to. Like, even just, like, pick up and stuff. And I still... Like, literally wake up in the morning and thinking about moves and, you know, dribbling the ball. Even though I'm not actually dribbling or even moving my hands, like, I'm thinking about my shot and somebody would regard me, setbacks either way. And I go throughout my day just thinking about, you know, different stuff like that. And then 
gradually I like, you know, see me making golf swings and thinking about golf. But basketball is something that like for me is just I don't I can't turn off. Like it's just something that's just part of me. But spending that year, even like the physical aspect of it, like putting that much time in on the golf course to me right now is just impossible because I'm just so busy. You know what I mean? Like basketball when I was doing it. It came first because for one, it was the breadwinner of what everything I was doing, but it just had such a high demand. Golf just, I can golf is more of like you pick your schedule between you want to play, so it's not like the, the demand isn't as high. The NBA season is coming down to the wire, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Tonight, I actually love the Jazz money line. Celtics will be on the second game, second night of a back-to-back. Uh, they're going to be tired. The Jazz have been surprising people all season, so there's some free money right there. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com backslash NBA. That's fanduel.com backslash NBA to learn more. And FanDuel is now live in Massachusetts. Download the app now and take advantage of their special offers, boosts, and more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 and over and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com backslash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step um, to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man. 
I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. So I I do want to get talking about your playing career because a lot of people, you know, like have a lot of interest in you personally, but also just the story of your career. Me being a New York City guy, you know, born and raised, I, 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 I now live in L.A., but I lived in New York for your whole time with the Knicks. Obviously, you know. Playing in New Orleans and playing in Denver was one thing, but what what would you say was the main difference by the time you got to the Knicks as far as just you as a basketball player and like what that meant for your career? Like it's just different now that you're playing in New York. I think the like the biggest thing, like the biggest difference, especially when I got to New York because I was coming from China during that lockout. Mm-hmm. When I was in China, like. When I played for New Orleans, I played for Denver. I didn't have that opportunity to really like be the, the showcase, be the man. You know what I'm saying? So when it took me back to like almost like the high school days, I was able to really develop and gain the confidence of handling the ball, shooting my mid ranges, doing different things. Before, like in New Orleans or Denver, you would normally see me shoot a three or a dunk. It was very little mid range playing pick and roll, stuff like that. By the time I got to New York, my game was well, more well-rounded, so I had way more confidence in it. And I was at home. I'm from Jersey, so my parents was catching the train. I was able to go home and get home-cooked meals whenever I wanted to. I mm. see my friends. I was in the crib, so it was, I was so comfortable. It was that environment. On top of the, just the energy of the city. You play for the Knicks. It's like you, you didn't even <laughs> got to win a chip. You win four or five games in a row, bro. You get what I need to <laughs> and for me, like that, that aspect of it changed. When you start playing four games in five nights, and this is back to back. And at the time, back we playing Orlando, you looking like, bro, we about to this is about to be a walk in the park. And then you walk out to the garden, and it's twenty two thousand, and you right. going crazy. You like, oh, nah, that's all. Like, let's get it. You know what I'm saying? It's different. Like, it's a, it's a totally different different atmosphere. On those slow days in Cleveland where we know we about to go to the finals and we playing a, a, a bad team, it's just like... It's just another day. It's another day. Well, you step up to the guard and this, again, sold out. People who ain't never been there going crazy. <laughs> fighting pretty much at every game. Celebrity role. It's like, bro, I don't care what team it is. I don't care who's playing as little kids. I'm about to go try and get 50. <laughs> I love that. And we talked about a lot of the media scrutiny you got. Because, again, like, there's media in New Orleans. There's media in Denver. But it's different in New York. Did that stuff weigh oh, on you? How much attention did you pay to it? Um, just tell me about your experience with, like, the being in that kind of fishbowl. I mean, New York, you have no place to pay attention to it because that's mm. all the, like, the organization pays attention to. It. You know what I'm wow. saying? Like, when you 
think when you look at like even from our standpoint where we was at, we had a great coach, we had a great GM where we was on a road. And then uh, one little thing come out in the papers like, oh, yeah, they should probably change this up, change that up. And before you know, we start hiring, firing people and just like, what is going on? So it's mm-hmm. like to me, and you look at the teams around, whether it be the Giants, whether it be the Yankees, whether it be the Mets, whether it be the Jets. Once, it's, once the New York media get a hold of just a, a small little win, everything starts changing because they run the, they run the team. You know, the fan base just literally runs the team. And <laughs> It's, it's, it's crazy. I've never seen nothing like it. Like, it's wild. And the thing about New York is, like, everybody, you can't go nowhere without seeing the Knicks fan. When you play for the Knicks, you it's gotta impossible. go nowhere. It's, it's impossible. impossible. Like, <laughs> it's not possible. And they, be, and they believe any and everything they heard on ESPN, Fox Sports, mm. whatever outlet they hear, and that's the story. They believe any and everything. Like, damn, bro, you, you out till 4 o'clock in the morning, like, like bro. What do you tell me? What does it matter to you? For one and two, like I'm a grown ass man. Like, what are you talking about? You hear that shit from fans. You hear that from everywhere. So once you like, when you hear it in, the, in whether it be social media, whether it be ESPN, whatever, you hear it for sure. So all that blocking it out. You play for them. I don't want to hear you block it out. This is impossible. Unless you yeah, just stay in the house. It's crazy because in pre- preparation for talking to you today, like obviously all of the memes and shit about Jr. drinking Hennessy, and I remember when you corrected the record and was like, "I don't, I don't even drink cognac. I'm a vodka guy." I, I like, it, like Rihanna once, they, like the post covered some comment Rihanna put on a post, and I'm like, "Damn!" Like the New York Post is covering an Instagram comment from one of the famous, most famous people in the world. Like, that's just a whole other level of, of screw. That's that's crazy. You know what I mean? That's why I wonder how you yeah. were dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, fortunately, I had such a passion for the game. I just continuously fell in love with the game all over again. And anytime some shit came up or whatever, I just continuously fell into the game all over again. Try to reinvent myself throughout how I played. And then hopefully my talent was over, able to outweigh the bullshit. So I, I want to talk about your time in Cleveland, man, in that championship in 2016, because for me, I feel like your time with the Cavs solidified you as one of my personal favorite players because... One, obviously, everybody always knew you were super talented, but I think on a like a championship level team, you got to show that you were a winning player, right? Like, like you were guarding the best perimeter player at times on the other team. You were that guy that was stretching the defense around what LeBron was doing on pick and roll. Like, I, I just rem- I just remember your game sort of rounded into shape. I just want to know, like. What was it about playing on the, those teams that you felt like just sort of transformed the type of player that you were? I mean, when I got, by the time I got to Cleveland, I was in a situation to where I was, the year before I, I had one six man, the next year I had got hurt, and then we got traded. So for me, it was like, I'm still, I still got my bag. Like, I'm still in the mix. Like, I'm still one of those. And Cleveland at the time, they didn't even want me. So when Brian was like, oh, no, nah, that's my man, like, for sure. And they was like, yeah, we're going to grab him. It just so happened that something that just got hurt. 
So the way I ended up starting just so happened, it just literally just happened through. So like, you had a relationship with LeBron prior to the trade to Cleveland? Yeah, I knew LeBron since we were 15. Wow. So when when that happened, it was just like, okay, we're just going to test it out and just throw him in there. And once they figured out, oh, he stretched the defense and he actually played defense, yep. it was just like, oh, this is like a match made in heaven for what he needs. You know what I'm saying? So for me, looking at it, we got Braun, who's obviously Braun, Kai, who's going to go for 30 whenever he wants, if not more, and Kev, who just came in from averaging him at 20 and 20. It was yeah. like, what y'all need me to score for? I got, if I want to stay on the court more than anything, I got to play defense. So if I, I, all I got to do is play D and make shots and make y'all look good, I look good. So if y'all look good, then we get and we when do we all get paid? So I, I want to tell you a quick funny story. I like I had just started in my job as covering the league, like around 2016, and so I was able to go to the NBA Finals in 2016, and I went to Cleveland for games three and four. And I remember y'all lost game four. Y'all was down <laughs> three, <laughs> three one, and I remember going to a bar close to the stadium and there was these two girls these young white women they were crying and I was like this series is over it's a wrap at what point did you for real believe like yo we're gonna we, we're probably gonna come back and do this did you never waver did you feel like you were doing it the whole time at what point did you genuinely honestly think like oh we coming back in this thing see being for me I never felt like we was out of it man mm. I try. I kept trying to like build that confidence within the team because it was like we was literally like one one chip away from just our own self confidence with beating them. You know what I'm saying? And like it is messed up because the year before we was on the road, I get hurt in Atlanta. Kid get his arm pulled, a shoulder pulled mm-hmm. out the socket in Boston. So like we was at full force. We was ready to go. And then that happened. Not to say we would have beat him then, but like the whole trajectory of everything just had just changed. Mm-hmm. And then once they already had, once they had their confidence after winning, you just see Steph going from 40, 50, shooting crazy, like Clay going nuts. So their confidence was already through the roof. So by the time we got even back to the finals, which was a really, I think we won 4 0, 4 0, 4 1, or something like that. In the previous series, we it was like our first real adversity that we had hit. Mm. So it was just like, damn, we down and like to them, and we full strength. Like it's no way. So to me, like, bro, first of all, last year to me, in my opinion, we, we mopped them up. We win two years in a row. Back we go back to back easy. Then they gotta go recruit KD and do all of that. <laughs> So to yes. me, it was like, I'm over here, like, literally, like, oh, bro, there's no way to come off of it. I'm looking at Tom, like, bro, you the best, like, we've ever seen do this. Like, bro, boy, like, come on. And luckily, they did their thing. She won 45, 45, the one that had 40, the other 39. Was, um, and it, it worked out, but. For, for me, I, it never wavered because I always felt like, and that's, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I still feel like those two teams that we had fairly healthy, fully, we better than them. I'm probably better than I love, I love, I love hearing that. And, you know, game seven, man, and again, they touch on it 
in the dock. That stretch in the third quarter, you really saved the game for the team because it was a slog. This game ended up being in the freaking 90s, which never happens in the NBA anymore. It'll like, never happen again. It'll never happen again. But like, like the offense was just in a stalemate and you took it upon yourself to take and make huge shots, man. Like, to me, your fingerprints are all over that championship. I appreciate it. Uh, and I, I give a lot of credit to, that, to James Jones and Mike Miller because coming in at halftime, it was really on me. Like, bro, because it, it messed me up because of the, the first year, no, the, the first uh, game of that series, I slide on the floor and I think it was bogey. And I died for the ball. And I got a gash on the bottom of my shit and, and pull the skin off of it. And it's layered. So every time I, like, catch the ball or anything, you feel like, you know, anything with your hand, you wow. feel all of that. So by the time the game seven came around, it finally felt like, okay, I can, like, finally feel like I could do something. So the whole time, I'm really, I'm actually timid. But them tell, like, them coming and bringing Will me in at halftime, like, yo, bro, you got to do something. Like, you just out there right now, bro. Like, you, you got way more to your game. And when I, the first couple shots I get, the first looks, I'm taking them. And I'm, mm. I'm when I'm when I get into that mode, it's like it's, I don't care what the coach say, I don't care what one of my teammates say. That's just that, that's just gonna happen. Unless you don't give me the ball, and when by the time I do get it, it's going up for sure. And fortunately, I had that confidence because those are the shots that I've shot in my whole life. Like I've always practiced the off balance shots and stuff. So when I when people closing out on me left and right, those are things I I shoot still to this day walking around so for me to actually afford to actually happen it was like a you know just be living something i already did i love it man jr man did, you know you caught a lot of shit in the media throughout the course of your career however no teammate has literally ever said a bad thing about you ever <laughs> at any stop at any point of your career so i think that shows what type of dude you were when you played i really enjoyed checking out the first couple of eps of this doc i really think people are going to be surprised about some of the things that you open up about on there and I, and I do think it's a dope piece of media man thank you for coming on our show today brother absolutely man i appreciate you having me Love you. can't wait to meet you in person man we do it again sometime Yes, sir. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.